Hello, and welcome to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. I'm your host, Gregory Landaway. Welcome to this episode of the Planetary Regeneration Podcast. Today, my guest is Greg Ostick, who is the founder of RSI and doing some of the most exciting and leading work in the world of open science, open hardware, and open software applied to monitoring agroecological health, soil health, soil carbon, and uh, he's also, yeah, just a just a fantastically interesting human and has a really, I think, important perspective on the connection between uh, our desire to regenerate ecosystems and face climate change head on and social justice and uh, the 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 reason for sort of an open source approach to the work that he's doing, I think, really stems from that that ethical stance. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. It's a, it's a short one. Um, as, as Greg had some other things to do and so did I, so we kept it pretty quick, but, uh, yeah, I think we really delved into, uh, some of the core important parts of, um, the ethical foundation for the, the work that, uh, many of us, many of my listeners out there and, uh, and Greg and I and, and many other people in open team community and, and beyond are all focused on. So enjoy and uh, please leave your comments in your your uh, podcast platform of choice. So we are live now with Greg Ostick and uh, welcome to the Planetary Regeneration Podcast, Greg. Thanks. Uh, and um, I suppose this won't be live when most of you listen to it, so that's sort of a funny thing to say. So uh, Greg and I were just chatting about what we were going to chat about, and we hit on, oh, let's let's jam about open source business models and the and you know sort of old ways of doing that, tried and true ways of having businesses that do open source development, and maybe some emerging trends and how we create organizations and businesses that have as sort of their core um, open sourcing as a public good, the, the basis of the, you know, the value generation really. So um, Greg, I'm going to, I'm going to just sort of turn it over to you. Maybe if, if you don't mind giving listeners just in with that framing, just a brief introduction to yourself, you know, an RSI and, and then, you know, dive in and take a run at um, why this is such an exciting topic to you. Sure. Yeah. So um, um, I'm the co-founder of RSI um, and we, uh, we, our, our mission is to support communities who want to ask hard research questions. And we do that through um, software to help them collect um, comparable, uh, validatable, high quality data, and then also um, accessible hardware to support the quality of that data. Um, that's been our primary mission. That is our primary mission and our, the primary areas that we've worked with and the communities that we worked with, a lot have been in ag, though not exclusively. Um, so yeah, that's us. And then I'm just sort of personally an, an open technology advocate. I just really, you know, I feel like uh, not just data, but the technology that produces it um, needs to be in the public domain for us to move forward um, as an informed public. So. Yeah, that's my, my quick background. Um, and I think in terms of open source business models, um, 
I, I see it as one of not only one of the most important things that needs to get developed, but one of the least talked about mm -hmm. um, and least uh, treated, like tr treated as an independent topic um, in the space. So it sort of hits that like on the four quadrants of like very important and very researched and not very important. And So I think it's more discussion, and uh, it's 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 the reason that a lot of projects fall down, unfortunately. Greg, I lost you a, for just a brief moment as you were discussing the the four quadrants. Uh, so you were sort of saying, you know, x-axis maybe is um, not important, not important to very important, and then the y-axis axis is um, well researched down to um, not at all researched. Right. Yeah. Or, or, or heavily discussed down to not at all discussed, you know, whichever way you want to see it. And yeah. And I think open source business models are incredibly important and not, not very well researched or discussed. Um, yeah, definitely. Well, especially, <clears throat> I mean, I think there are, this is one of the things I'm, I'm pretty excited about is I, I think there are <clears throat> a number of different sort of avant-garde attempts to build interesting and innovative open source uh, business models, um, and, and that mostly those are happening in what is, you know, in quotes, loosely referred to as the crypto community, mm -hmm. yeah. where where th there's the idea of creating kind of tokenized protocols, where mm -hmm. um, you know tokens represent, you know, um, right for instance, right access to a blockchain or other things like that that can be governed by a protocol. That protocol is then governed by the users in some way, and there's different mechanisms for that. But a foundation for that is everything has to be open source because otherwise, how would you trust the protocol that's being, um, you know, used to to sort of monetize? So so there's this. So so that's one way, right? And then there's another way, which is sort of the you know, like uh, tried and true red hat business model where, right. where you have a, um, which is sort of like the corporate, the corporate open source model where, where sort of like corporations get together and they say, you know, we don't really want to compete on all of this stuff. This is just foundational. We'd actually like to compete a couple layers up. Um, so we'll all invest resources into, you know, this, large open source code base, essentially. And, and then there are service providers that, that have specialty in sort of maintaining the infrastructure guts of the open source uh, code base. And then, and then private enterprise, you know, takes that work and then, you know, does specific things with it and, you know, creates sort of closed source add-ons and, you know, whatever the business model there is, SaaS or freemium or, or what have you. Um, are there other other business models that you see in the space? Just to kind of like throw up a few. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll say something quick, and then I'll throw out an example model that we're working on with other um, partners, which feels feasible. Um, sorry, I keep getting calls. Uh, it's also important to. Um, Maybe recognize that it's okay, that 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 maybe it's okay to adjust um, how we define success too. I don't think this is actually 
relates to whether an, a model is open source or not. But I think you know when the when free software got renamed open source, at least to parts of the world, um, that that occurred in part because software companies wanted to be able to pitch this to large scale investors, and and that was a good thing. I mean, on net, I think I think it expanded the number of people who understand this stuff, and it provided more opportunities. And I'm glad that 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 happened. Um, but as an individual company, um, I don't I don't necessarily have to decide that I want to be worth get sold for thirty four billion dollars to IBM, right? Like I can say, what I really want to do is have the most impact, which is what a lot of people want to do, and I want to be able to like you know have kids, feed a family, um, live a reasonable life, and that's not a question of. Um, open source or not, it's a question of, um, you know, how you implement your strategy and where you expect to be. So I think mm. it's just important to, to recognize that if you, if you create open source content and you center yourself in the community, you are going to be an essential part of that community. There probably will be paid work for you for a better portion of your life if you're successful. So, um, so let's, let, me, let me ask yeah. some questions. I think this is a really yeah. important point, and I'm glad that we're starting there, which is, well, just to reiterate what I'm hearing you say, and you can upgrade if I'm not quite getting it. What you're sort of saying is, look, if you're not trying to have an exit where you're essentially where you're sort of following the the logic of, do a bunch of work that's shitty now so that you can make a bunch of money later and not have to work, which exactly. is sort of like the intrinsic basic logic of, of that approach to business. Right. Um, instead, you're sort of saying, do something that's meaningful now and do it in a way that's open and transparent. And, you know, there, there should be really no reason why if you're providing services and doing work that, that, enough other people need that that won't be plenty good enough to create sort of a sustainable vocation, sustainable livelihood where you can, you know, have a good lifestyle. Is that that's an accurate summary of what you're saying? Yeah, that's right. I'm saying, I'm saying let's not just consider openness, um, but let's also consider what our goals are. Because I think when we, when we adjust our goals away from, I have to be a VC fundable large exit company, and we say, I, I don't need to be that, then the proportion of what we do and what we can build in the public sphere goes up, even beyond the traditional open source strategy. The proportion of what we can build goes up. And how we build it, the technical details of how we build it and how open and accessible it is goes up. And I, I just, I would throw it out there that um, that's not just a, you may be using the same business model. You may be doing the Red Hat business model of consulting, but your impact and your capacity to, to have other people utilize open source software and make it more accessible is probably higher if you're not trying to also have an exit. Well, you have more agency, essentially, because you're yeah. not trying to, there isn't a, you know, there, there isn't a stakeholder who has governance power within your organization who's sort of sitting right. there saying, you know, I mean, the famous X, example X, of this, the famous yeah. example of this is Google. Right. And Google, you know, the, the Google founders, um, 
Sergey and Larry published when they were doing their PhD work on, you know, my uh, my somewhat limited understanding, having read some books about this, their their PhD research at at Stanford was about around search algorithms, and they uh, and, but there were a bunch of other people doing search algorithms right mm -hmm. at this same moment. They you know like in their thesis, they basically were saying if advertising is the basis this should be a public utility if advertising enters into this it's going to per pervert all the incentives and we'll never do that hmm. so they so, so you know they got funded google became a thing several years go by maybe five even and there's this battle between alta vista and yahoo and google and i don't know aol around search and business models and you know platform and whatever and at a certain point, you know, they were going to run out of money. And, you know, the story goes that the VCs basically said, you're, you have to advertise. Right. You know, and, and there was some, there were some technical pieces. I, I forget. There's actually, if you, if you read the book Surveillance Capitalism by Shushana Zuboff, she details out this story with like all the documentation and whatnot. It's very <laughs> interesting. But but just to say, there was a fork in the road, and if they had, if they had found, and this is where the, this conversation gets really interesting, which is then, how do you create sustainable funding sources, and how do you, like, if your ambitions and if meaning for an entrepreneur is sourced by a level of impact that is unaccessible from simple organic growth, just like you know getting on a billing cycle and just being able to bill whatever it is, 150 or 250 or whatever it is, dollars an hour to do some work and cycle the margins back into your own creative impulse. If there's actually something world changing that you're sort of dedicating your, your life to, how do you build the, the capital resources to take a good crack at that without, without the uh, 10 x return without yeah, be, trying to sell the upside of what that impact will make to a set of investors who yeah. then are going to you know ensure that when that impact comes successfully they are strategically positioned to you know take advantage of it you know what are the other options in that yeah sort of that's scenario? a uh, there's no answer to that question <laughs> for sure i mean that's probably this is a research topic or a topic of conversation as we're having it which is great um, I, I would throw this out there. I've seen in the last five years, um, which um, maybe provides an, an avenue. I don't know. Um, you know, we want, um, I think there's a couple of positive um, movements, I would say, that help support that. One, the government increasingly um, is identifying open source as a requirement um, for things that it funds, which is great, really, really great. Um, so that's a shift that's driving us funding into certain areas which can take on the strategy. And I think Open Team is a really great example of that. Um, but what the other thing that's, that's changed, and this is what's exciting for me, because this should not be an investment question. This should be a consumer choice question, right? It, it should be that investors have no choice because consumers demand that their products be open source. And I think that was just a laughable idea, certainly, you know, 30 years ago and probably seven years ago. But 
I, I can just tell you from interacting with people in my space, even people who would not traditionally care or know about open source, when the pitch is made to them, they're all of a sudden now, instead of going, I don't know what you're talking about, they have enough little hooks in society. And those hooks come in the form of, of Cambridge Analytica, the hooks come in the form of Theranos, the hooks come in the form of Trump and the election. They, they all of a sudden people understand that data matters, that privacy matters, but that also data sharing is required because they're seeing it. People are seeing it in the context of the work that they do. And you know, they're seeing it in the news and in science. Like, so they're seeing both sides. They're seeing the privacy as being critical and they're seeing data sharing as being um, also critical, but that those seem and appear at odds. And open source as an argument, both in data and then very quickly it becomes apparent in software um, and in design, if you're talking about hardware, is a beautiful synthesis of solving both of those problems at the same time. I just had a conversation of somebody who um, is, uh, um, has like an industry group, basically an ag, represents a lot of large producers in ag. I grew up on a big farm, so you know my dad represents one of those producers. They don't give two shits about their technology, where it was designed, how it was designed, or anything like that. So talking to them about open source and um, in the traditional sense goes nowhere. But, but now when you make the pitch with those hooks, they get what you're talking about. They are tired of getting taken advantage of. They're tired of seeing people building black boxes and strategies around them in an extractive way. And all of a sudden, again, this, this what used to be a meaningless conversation becomes incredibly meaningful. And when that happens, you don't need a 100x return because the only people who are gonna be successful in the marketplace are the people who are meeting this minimum criteria now. Um, but we have a ton of work to do in having those discussions so that open source becomes the minimum criteria because it's not gonna happen by itself. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that's a pathway, so. Right, well, so, so there's the invitation for there to be some sort of concerted, you know, almost advocacy and, you know, almost like advertising campaign yeah. that's like you know this is open source and there's like you know <laughs> yeah sort of like organic certified or something yeah. where people just people just sort of can yeah i i mean I, I i think that's great i think that would go a long way and i, I do think it kind of bought you know you started by saying increasingly the government is is making it a criteria for funding that certain things be open source. I, I get incensed that anything the government spends, any anything the government does is not open source. Like, all, actually almost more than anything else, that pisses me off. Because yeah. if you think, it just sort of cuts to the, the heart of the crony capitalist yeah. mess. If you're getting, you know, if, if lobbying is taking place behind closed doors, who knows? what the criteria is for funding. And then on top of that, that stuff is getting funded and it isn't open source. Um, I mean, you know, I, I know that there can be arguments about this in like the defense industry or this, that, yeah. and the other. Yeah, I get that. Uh, but in, in, in anything like the ag sector or anything industrial, anything like that. I mean, yeah, I guess it gets complicated here when you start to have the, um, you know, and this is where this is this is where it gets really interesting. Is that 
competitive advantage is oftentimes the moat, you know, <laughs> to keep out the competition, so to speak, is oftentimes this is considered to be, you know, secrecy around the method of producing the value. Because the fear in this, in that worldview and that economy which we live in, the fear is that if other people can produce the same value, right. um, they will, and then you'll, you know, in quotes, lose your competitive advantage. Which to me, what's interesting here is I always want to ask what, if we choose on a, it, the most important choice from my perspective we have as individuals or society in this context is what are we choosing to compete on? Right. Yep. So if, if instead of choosing to compete on, for instance, the scientific method to make a claim about, you know, agroecological health, like soil or something like that, instead of it being sort of like we're choosing to, to compete on, you know, the proprietary secret sauce that gives us a high accuracy in our <laughs> um, statements. Instead, we're competing on, I don't know, what are the other things that you can compete on? Um, the, I guess you can compete on the, the price point to deploy something that's open. You can compete on, you could try, try to achieve precision instead of just accuracy. You know, mm -hmm. there's just other things that you could start competing on and make that open and i think that what happens in that scenario is more organizations that are more intrinsically motivated and more cooperative and more you know and and more willing to not have the you know 100x return on the far end because they're doing things that they really care about all of a sudden become the most competitive organizations. That's right. Yeah. Because yep. they don't need to protect anything. They're just doing their best in the moment to in in a domain that they care about to yep. accomplish things that provide value for their users. Yep. Yeah, and I I, I mean I think and, and I'll I think it's worth admitting that that's a and, and, I, and I recognize this in talking to and thinking about who the people who most respond by saying, I have to control this in order to have value, you know, and thinking about who those people in my life that I've had that discussion and gotten that response from. I totally recognize that it's a pretty kind of privileged position to be in to say, uh, well, I'm so confident in my abilities and my ability to move around in the market that I'm just going to chuck all this stuff out there for free and assume it's all going to work out for me. You know, like, I, I, so I fully, fully recognize that that takes a pretty, um, a, a mindset that's not spending a lot of time thinking about failure um, to, to have that. But I do, you know, so like, I guess I'm just throwing that out there as just sort of a, somewhat of a defense of where that's coming from. It's coming from a, totally. you know, a, 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 a fear-based or not abundance-based mindset, which, which emerges from people's you know, experience and realities, but, you know, hopefully, you know, hopefully we can all get there. I think that's where we all want to live. Um, it's just maybe not where we're all living right now. So, you know, what else can we do to help people get there? Is this um, a shift from venture capitalism to venture altruism? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> Some sort of like enlightened, it's sort of like, you know, because where does altruism and selfish, you know, and being selfish actually diverge if you have enlightened selfish 
self-interest, right. you're seeing that, you know, long-term viability and health and stability is actually the best for, you know, like individuals are somehow just emergent of their cultural context. If you have a toxic organization and you have a, you know, <laughs> toxic society, then there's no way to just be insulated from that. Right. You know, that realization, I think, leads leads people to start to realize like, oh, you know, there's something that reconciles those two into sort of like right action, which is, you know, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think that's right. And I think most people, and probably the Google founders included, um, at the beginning of their process, they're motivated by, for the most part, they're motivated by um, either pure interest, like scientific interest, curiosity, they're motivated by um, the, the, the value of the impact that they're going to have. I mean, that's, that's, that's human nature. People um, at a certain, people who aren't just operating in scarcity. That's right. I'm sorry. Pure, I'm sorry. People that's who right. are operating, yeah, with, with some amount of social safety net and some amount of, you know, just, you know, maybe not having experienced severe um, lack at, that, that threatens, you know, the, your family or yourself as you're growing up probably right. are, you know, significantly more likely to have a beginning stance of just like, I'm doing this because I care about it care yeah. about this i'm interested yeah and i mean this is it's off topic but on topic you know i've been thinking we had a couple of weeks ago on an open team call we had a discussion about uh when all the at the beginning of the um um the sort of racial justice um issues that came about after george floyd happened we had a call in which um Dorn kind of, you know, opened up and said, does anybody have anything to say? You know, what should our response be? And, you know, people gave some thoughtful responses at the time. Um, but we didn't, we didn't, we didn't get down to action. You know, at most what we did is we, we had a forum post um, that had a couple of responses and it's not because no one cares. Um, it's because it's a difficult issue and, and all that jazz. But I would just reinforce here that like, um, we, we've just recognized something important, which is, you have to be, you have to live in a kind of, uh, like you said, like um, non-fear-based world. And what we've seen in the last three weeks is a whole huge portion of the population lives in a fear-based world with very good reason. Mm -hmm. And um, and so these issues are really interconnected. You know, they're they're really interconnected. And I wish we could do more to, because um, what's going to happen is we're going to come to these conclusions at the end of this conversation boy, people should be more enlightened. They should have more enlightened self-interest. We can build, you know, not 100x returns on business models. And if we, you know, and people would do that, but it's going to be people like you and me who do that. Like, we're just, we're just, <laughs> we're just furthering the problem, which is that we're creating solutions to problems, which I believe in, you believe in, but we're creating it from the starting point of people like you and me. And I just, um, it's not a bad thing, but it's a frustrating thing. And I'm just, I'm a little tired. Well, I think you're right on in, in that's where my mind was going too. You know, if we sort of come to this understanding that it is somehow more, um, yeah, I mean, there's so many different dimensions, but yeah, there, there's, it's better for people and it's better for society and it solves some of this, the, like the strange, wacky, perverse incentive structures that we see 
leading to all sorts of problems with data and manipulation and propaganda and all these things to, to have significantly more of the foundation on the tech side for sure being open source and probably manufacturing you know when i say tech i mean software probably also manufacturing and other things it just right. it just makes it's it's like if you're gonna have a market-based system being a, able to open source as much as possible just creates more competition and more Openness, um, yeah, all of those things. For new players and, opportunity no. for new players, exactly. Yeah. Which, which somehow in our society is intrinsic to the the ideals of, right. you know, like like, you know, a free and open society. That's part of that. Somehow seems very intrinsic to the American experiment. And what we're noting, what 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 you're calling out, and I heartily agree with, is all of that is impossible if and when any subgroup in a society is living in enforced fear and scarcity and can't, like they essentially can't participate upstream. Although there's a positive correlation, like if this same police brutality, racial injustice, systemic oppression was taking place and all software was open source and the government only right. funded open source things, it would make the former problem easier, actually. I, I totally agree. Totally um, agree. But it's, it's it wouldn't more, take right. care it of it. It would not just take care of it in a hand wavy way, but it would make it easier because it would be much easier to create opportunity. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, yeah because you, could, you wouldn't have to work within existing systems. You wouldn't have to join, you know, it means that you wouldn't have to join a big software company to meaningfully contribute to code because the code base you're contributing to is, is public. You don't have to be inside IBM to be able to see it and contribute. It's just, it, it, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. Um, so, but, and at the same time, it's sort of like, it's not enough. And so if this is something that we believe in, I think what you're inviting is if you believe in all of that, then also it becomes imperative to realize that we also have to sort of stand side by side with people who are fighting for justice and you know equity equality um now because because we can realize from our own personal experience oh wow we're we're beneficiaries of a of a system in which we like you and i as you know sort of millennial um <laughs> white men yeah had enough privilege in our um in the way that we grew up and in our access to tools and education that both of us have can have this attitude which is like i can just throw away the 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 clinging on to some 100x or 1000x you know exit because i can realize that in you know the quality of life and is going to be sourced from meaningful impact and good relationships. And therefore I'm happy to just sort of like gift the bulk of the value derived from innovation that I'm pursuing to the, to the broader community instead of trying to capture it and make people access it on my terms. Right. Like, and, and to be able to have that thought and that approach we're just acknowledging comes from, having had a particular 
you know, I think probably childhood and schooling, which allows us to be way more relaxed about, you know, just like trust, like, oh yeah, if that project fails, I still have done good work and somebody's going to look at it and, and they'll hire me or they'll fund me right. or whatever. I'm never right. going to be destitute. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, so I can afford to be generous. Yeah. Yeah. And I, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I think we just need to do way, way more. I've been thinking about the last couple of days and I'm going to reach out to some people about having discussions, but I, I think, I think within our community as it relates to racial justice, which was not the original topic here, but um, we, there's a couple things. First, I think we completely and utterly failed to recognize on the original call that um, agriculture is the root of the original sin, right? We are in the industry in which the original sin occurred for hundreds of years first. Second, we are in the industry in which the primary original source of opportunity was provided. Like 40 acres and a mule, like has sort of become like a throwaway line, but it's a real fucking thing. It was a real thing that never got provided um, and should have been. And so the original opportunity and the original opportunity to build wealth came in agriculture and it was never provided. The original skill set was in agriculture and it was let atrophy for that same reason. So like, we, we sit here, I think I felt, I think probably a lot of people did in that call, like, well, gee, like there's a, not a lot of black people in ag that I know. I don't see a lot of racism, blah, blah, blah. That's because, that's because, why is that? It's not because there wasn't black people in agriculture. It's because they were driven from agriculture. And it probably is an area of a great deal of like intergenerational pain and trauma, you know? So we're, it's just, it's, it's almost counter to, to reality. But the reality is, if any sector in the economy has responsibility to take action and not just Twitter action, I'm talking about like money action, us, us money action. It is us. And that's like, I just, I want to start having conversations about that because I, I, I honestly, I think we should start. I think, I think we as companies, nonprofits, universities in this space need to start tacking on two, 3% to every bill that we make. And at the bottom, it says this is going into a fund to support black farmers, to buy back land, to support, you know, the nonprofits, which are already working to bring um, black people into the agricultural community, like whatever it is that's appropriate. I don't want to dictate that. I frankly just want to find people who are already active in the space, which I'm sure they're there to dictate that. But we should be, we should just be billing extra to put towards that cause. I think that's the minimum we can do. So yeah, I love it. And and I think it's really appropriate that that's where, you know, that's an appropriate place to end the conversation. Um, it's been a brief one, but I think a potent one. So thank you, Greg. And maybe we should circle back and um, sort of pick up where we left off here in, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Uh, fantastic. Well, um, I hope you have a beautiful day and I look forward to uh, touching base shortly. Yeah. Yeah. Talk to you in about an hour. <laughs> yeah. Cheers. All right. Bye.